Hi, this is Tamika Kasten Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation. So stay tuned. Well, hello. It is Halloween in Houston, Texas, and presumably it is Halloween everywhere uh, around the United States. Um, Tomorrow is All Saints Day and the expression of the Christian church. And then in the expression of some other churches, uh, it is All Souls Day, uh, the Saturday. And All Souls Day also is known throughout Latin America and other uh, diaspora countries as Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos. Now, um, in keeping with all honesty, as I love to do with you, I have to say I get really annoyed with people dressing for Dia de los Muertos who don't really have a concept of how important this tradition is. Um, in fact, I, I would go further to say there are people who would put on the face of La Cantrina with, who are the same people who make really damaging commentary about Latin America or Latinos or immigrants, particularly in the United States. But um, perhaps those are thoughts for another day. But essentially, Dia de los Muertos and Day of the Dead really go back to this concept. It's an an ancient concept about, um, well, it goes back to a concept that's not as ancient, which then connects to another concept that is. The first thing is about this connection that we have between the living and the ancestors. And during this time of year, this is the time in which the veil gets really small. You know, there's an, um, there's an association with the full moon at this time, that this is the, the time in which the veil is lifted. And when we are in a new moon and we're experiencing darkness at night, um, we can really explore the, these night hours, these evening hours, um, to be in communication with our ancestors and to ask what it is that they might want for us to bring to fruition. This I'll speak more on that um, later, but what what is really important for me in all of this is that thought that the veil is lifted or that connection between ourselves and those who have gone before us is there. And it's important to acknowledge that not only is it, you know, grandma or, um, you know, your spouse or a child or someone who you have personally had contact with um, is, is available to you or more available to you at, the, at this time. But it is all of the ancestors. You know, when I um, talk to people who 
um, speak about being visited by their ancestors or who have um, who have had visions of of someone being next to them or something like that. It's it's usually not uh, the person who they would like, like their mother or something like that, but rather like a, a great grandmother or great grandfather or something like that. Someone who they didn't really know quite well, and um, and will will have a visit uh, from that person or see that that person is protecting them. I think it's important for us to realize that our ancestors, we carry our ancestors with us and all of their wisdom and all of their foibles. We, we carry all of that with us for sure. As I've spoken to before in the ancestry episode, we carry seven generations of, uh, of trauma in our bodies and as I argued in that episode, if we carry trauma, then for sure we can also carry triumph. Um, for sure we are carrying the memories in our DNA of uh, generations past. And as someone who is still in the discernment process over past lives, um, you know, I would say that I think that oftentimes what we might see as a past life could be rather a previous generation because we're all connected. We're all connected through consciousness and perhaps what we're seeing is the events of uh, that seventh generation person or the events of that fifth generation person in their lives. It's just all things that I'm working through and I don't pretend to have all of the answers to life's big questions, but I do know that what I feel deeply in my soul is that this is a time in which we can connect beyond this realm and we can um, bring a sense of connection back and we, we don't have to act like people are, are truly gone. Um, now, the ancient part of this time of year is going back to the origins of donning a costume. Um, I was listening to someone the other day talk about putting on costuming and where this kind of originated. <clears throat> so this is not my original information. Of course, nothing is, right? It's all a part of greater consciousness. Um, but essentially, back in the in the day when the, the pagans were um, celebrating nature around this time of year, we know that the pagans did see everything as sacred. And um, interestingly, there's uh, there's a kind of um, negative thought around pagans and paganism that has been sold by. Uh, mainline uh, Christian churches, but the reality is that the the connection between pagan ritual and Christian ritual is deep. I mean, the connection goes very deep. You know, the way that we celebrate many things, and actually, <clears throat> you know, this term or this thought process of everything being um, spiritual or everything having energy, everything having a consciousness or Christ consciousness is actually something that Celtic Christians still believe. So this 
is not something that is limited to just a pagan thought. There are people around the world in different expressions of religion who see everything as a, a part of creation, God's creation, or a higher um, or a part of the universe. That's important. So anyway, so going back to the pagans, what would happen um, around this time of All Hallows Eve is they would see in, in a, a part of creation then that they would like to imitate. So I've used an example when I've been talking to my students that I'll share here as well. Let's say that I want to be a tree for All Hallows Eve. So what I would do is I would study that tree and I would look at its leaves and its branches and I would fashion my costume to look like that tree as much as possible. The movement of the tree, I would study the way that the tree interacts with, with air and breeze. And I would study those, those, those concepts and the, the tree so closely so that I could properly imitate it. And on All Hallows Eve, then when I put on my costuming and, and I would become the tree. So I am the tree. And I, and, and the, that day, you know, I am the tree. I'm going to behave like a tree. And this is something that we do see that children try to do, um, to, to today, you know, whether they're going to be Superman all day or, um, they're going to be a, a truck all day or something like that. They will really take this, um, childish delight in being that object. And what's important is that that creativity of, of being the object and being observant enough to become the object then comes together with the vision of actually being whatever it is that, that we're envisioning ourselves to be on that one day. Now I say this and I am not a huge fan of Halloween. I think that you know, for me as a, as a full figured woman, costuming becomes problematic and, you know, everyone's as an adult, is just like, you know, slutty cat, slutty waitress, slutty schoolgirl, slutty, you know, it's just not a time in which we're at our highest selves. Um, but this year I chose to embrace, uh, it because, uh, I had to go be my, my, whatever my chosen costume, um, because I taught classes and, um, and so I, you know, decided to find that the humor and the folly in it and actually really have enjoyed it. And there, this is a two day celebration, um, because I taught last night and then I'll be teaching again, not in the same costume, but I've just decided to just embrace it because, the thing is, is that it is actually about becoming something else or someone else for a day. And I think this is such an important reminder that we actually can do this long term. Um, I don't think it's about becoming something else, but it's about becoming something that you haven't yet seen yourself as being. Uh, is something that is available to us. And oftentimes we get really, 
caught up in, in previous failures of, of uh, attempting to do this or that. And the, the reality is that we get to try again. We get to, we get to consistently try again. Also, I would say that at least in my experience, you know, when I look at endeavors that haven't gone well for me, they typically relate to the endeavor of weight loss. When I look at endeavors of academia or a a career or anything like that, they go swimmingly. And there's a point in which I have to acknowledge that my experience with getting the job or being great at my vocation or what have you is good. And therefore my, everything that is related to, to doing that. So if I, if I wanted to today go get a position somewhere, I know that I would get that position. I, the way that I walk into a room to acquire a, to, to acquire a professional relationship is absolutely full of confidence because I know what I bring to the table. I'm a bilingual woman who is very well educated, um, who can connect with a lot of people, make relationships, make profitable relationships, bring a vision to a company or an organization, help develop relationships and people train, you know, I mean, all of those things I know that I can do. And so when I walk into a space of going to acquire a position, I know that I can get that position. And the only way that they're not going to give it to me is if there is something on their end that is, that is crazy. Um, and there, in fact, I, I, in memory, I think, I don't think I've ever been turned down for a job or passed on for a job. So my schema or my background, that which is deeply in me is all positive, And I know for sure that that's something that, that I can do. On the contrary, when it comes to weight loss, I've had a lot of failures. I've had a lifetime of failures, frankly, you know, of, of being able to lose weight, uh, pounds and keep them gone I haven't done the yo-yo thing because it wasn't until I was like in my thirties that I thought that I should probably lose some weight because I always had a very healthy and have a very healthy self-esteem, as I mentioned in my, the previous episode. Uh, and so, you know, I always related, you know, self-esteem with desire to, to change the, the physical sheath or the external body. And I just didn't really care enough to do it. And um, so then when I started caring because I wanted to feel better and because um, doctors were telling me that the pain that I had in my hip, this story that I referenced in um, last and and uh, uh, the last episode was related to weight, which we, it wasn't. Um, then I and I was like, oh, well, let me let me lose some weight. And so I, I did. But um, the minute that my circumstance changed which in my case was my yoga studio closing, I began to um, gain weight again. And there was something like an, oh, this is what happens. Because I'd read that when people lose weight, most of the time they don't keep it off. 
And and when so when I started to gain weight again, I was like, oh, th- this is what happens. This is this is that thing that happens when people lose weight; they don't keep it off. And it be and it it, it fulfilled a, a foregone conclusion that when you lose weight, you will not keep it off. Today, in my my more enlightened self, I wonder, you know, if. I didn't have exposure to that information of when people lose weight, they gain it back. If, if that fear would have then um, led, if I would have had that fear, number one, and number two, if that would have actually happened. Because the minute my, my studio closed, my hot yoga studio closed, my very first notion was, I'm going to gain all of this weight back that I just lost. And I just wonder if I had no one telling me that's what happens, if that would have been my first reaction. I have been reading and researching so much about the brain that I know that so much that we, that informs our ability to create change has everything to do with our belief system everything to do with what we believe is possible if we do not believe something is possible then we absolutely will not realize the impossible there's something that has to be possible first and that possibility is what then becomes the pretext for what is realized And so I think that seeing a vision and then taking it on as a costume until you become the tree is actually quite important. And neuroscience actually backs this up. Um, Interestingly, the, as I've mentioned there, you know, before, I believe that when truth is truth, it is reiterated in various contexts. And I remember being told when I was um, doing work to become a spiritual director, my mentor told me, you know, St. Francis, you know, spoke to this. He spoke to, you know, one's truest desire being the path to being who you were created to be. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, like the desire of your heart, the desires of your heart, you know, are put there on purpose. They're, they're a part of you. They're a part of who we are at our core. When you strip off all of the social media ego BS that's all around us telling us what to want and what to, what to deem as important. When you strip that off and come to that id desire that that internal desire that shadow desire that is so important um that we work our whole lives either moving toward it slowly or either or even trying to escape it um that actual surface that that deep deep desire is actually what is the truest because it is what is coming from our hearts And all of the other stuff is coming from ego, which of course we can never appease. We can never, ever, ever appease the ego because the ego is superficial. The ego is fleeting. 
We can never, ever realize enough for the ego, manifest enough for ego because the ego can never be pleased because ego is ever changing depending on what the world would tell it to believe in or want or desire. And so we're looking to actually come into that id desire, that deep, deep, deep desire, find out what it is and have that desire manifest. And with um, St. Francis, the he actually said, and I quote, it is the devil's greatest tri triumph when he can deprive us of the joy of the spirit. He carries fine dust with him in little boxes and scatters it through the cracks in our conscious in order to dim the soul's pure impulses and its luster. But the joy that fills the heart of the spiritual person destroys the deadly poison of the serpent. But if any are gloomy and think that they are abandoned in their sorrow, gloominess will continuously tear at them, or else they will waste away in empty diversions. When gloominess takes root, evil grows. If it is not dissolved by tears, permanent damage is done. So this saint who so many people actually really love, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, really speaks to the fact that we are meant to be joyous people. Joy is inherent in what it is that we are here to experience. And that joy, different from happiness, different from, you know, some, some sort of experiential moment or temporary moments of, jo of, 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 of happiness, which comes from a surface pleasure place versus joy that comes from an internal place. But joy is something that destroys all of the ugliness, that destroys all of the, the death, the gloom, the, the difficulties. It, it destroys that because it comes from the heart's pure energy, and which is the truest part of ourselves, the heart. And it, we're oftentimes mm, encouraged to distance ourselves from the heart because, of course, we have all had a broken heart or had someone hurt our feelings or what have you. But the heart, when we're tuned into what the heart is, what the heart's greatest joy is, we're able to then really bring that to light and bring that to surface and then have that joy be the, or create the vision that then guides our lives. And this is really important to the universe, the spirit, to God, because what it is that we most truly desire is what we will lead us to who we really are. And who we really are is a part of this great consciousness, this incredible um, manifestation of consciousness. We are consciousness and we are part of it. And if we're not so busy being bogged down with ego crap, we can see that we are a part of that consciousness. And we can then bring the part of the consciousness, we can give voice 
to the part of consciousness that we were meant to give. This is, I, I call this today in my Instagram, that this is raising consciousness 21st century edition. This is why there are no new things because they're all a part of consciousness. And when things are a part of greater consciousness, they are ideas and, and, and notions that are already out there that are just looking for a conduit to be birthed into the, into the world, um, that into a tangible, um, experiential part of the world. So for example, if I am looking at the way that we express love with one another or amongst one another is consciousness. And it is the way that we then can create an experiential, um, realization of what consciousness would call love amongst one another. Imagine if you never experienced love or if love wasn't a thing, then, or if you never gave love and you never received love, if you never gave love to anyone, or if you never give love to anyone, the, the love is, is there, it's out there, but the person who doesn't receive that love isn't getting that ex that experience with love. The love is there, but it takes humanity to give another human an experience with it. And so that consciousness, which is love, that consciousness that includes love is something that is meant to be experienced. And we actually have to do the work with one another so that others can experience that. And this is true, I believe, of all of the things that we have visioned for ourselves. Everything that we have in us that we truly want to do was meant for us to do, for us to experience, to then bring consciousness into an experiential form. And this brings uh, a tangibility to this idea so that, or it brings this, this is something tangible that for us to step into. And the universe depends on us doing this. You know, if for me, taking my voice from a classroom, you know, with four walls and, 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 and as, as much as I loved teaching kids, um, teaching kids, um, meant that everything that I gave was to and for them because there wasn't enough room for me to do this anywhere else really. And when I started to go beyond the classroom to teach in other areas, I was constantly exhausted because I was working seven days a week. I was um, giving everything that I had to kids. I would fill up using something that was a stimulant like coffee or soda. And then I would give more, um, from, from a, an empty cup or, you know, somehow there would be a magical, very, uh, 
short-term refill. And then I'd give more when it came to teaching yoga classes and workshops and things like that. And so there was a, there was this limitation because, you know, while I was giving my absolute best and doing my best with my students and doing my best with my yoga students, um, I wasn't doing my best with myself. And that is a limitation because if I can't give myself what I need, then I'm constantly giving from an empty cup. We know this, this is not new news. And so when it, came to making decision, I had to not decide between um, yoga and yogic concepts and children. It was between myself, my, my current self and my higher vibrational sustainable self. That, those were the only two choices. This is something that I can do long-term. Is this something that is life-giving, life-sustaining? And the answer was a resounding no. It's impossible to work that way and to be giving all of yourself long-term and to, to not only to others, but to yourself. And so I had to leave the classroom in order to do that. I think that when we know what it is that is our vision, when we get clear on what it is, is our purpose in the world. And that answer comes to each of us. When we get clear on what is our purpose in the world, that is the time to start etching away at all of the superfluous things, etching away at all of the, 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 the distractions to come into that purpose. That is, that is our work at that point because we've had that awakening of purpose and now we need to start doing the work to come in to, to, to birth that, that purpose into um, its most tangible forms. And when we do not do that, life is really hard. So I have a, a person that I know who knows that um, a particular job is, is not for her. And has known for at least a year and absolutely suffered for at least a year because she was reluctant to leave that position because of all of the fears surrounding, well, what do I do now? What happens from here? And da 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 da. You know, the, the, the truth is there are only two choices when you realize that something's not for you to stay in it and suffer or to leave it. And when we step into purpose, a purposeful life, you know, a purpose, when we realize what that purpose is, which sometimes is by first recognizing what purpose is not, if we choose to stay in that, we will suffer. And that suffering is optional. Um, so the, because ignorance is no longer a factor, you know, it's not for you. And I think at some point we have to sit there and recognize, look, is, is the suffering because of fear of what's next? Is it, is it really, why am I attached to suffering? Why am I attached to fear of what's next? I mean, what is next is going to happen whether or not you choose it. What is next will happen. Now, how long you stay and suffer in what is old for you, what is no longer for you, 
that that's the choice you have in the matter. But what is meant to happen will in fact happen eventually. And so my choice is to not suffer as long as, you know, is to skip the whole suffering portion of it. So I think that it is important for us to, A, really listen to the heart. Listen to the heart through meditation. To take time away from everyone and everything and have a conversation with your heart to ask what is it that is truly important and then to write those things down write down what it is or come up with one simple sentence of what is important and maybe it has two commas in it but one simple sentence of what is your heart's greatest desire what is it that you need to be fulfilled, to feel loved, affirmed, and seen. What is your heart's greatest, greatest pleasure? And once you get to that heart consciousness and you ask yourself that question and then you come up with your answer, then is B. See yourself in that vision. See yourself adorned in your future self. See yourself as that joy-filled person living and being whatever it is that was your heart's desire. See yourself in it, around it. See the people who are there with you. See the, the people who see what is your vocation, see all of those things and, and see it and have a visceral experience with what it is that you most truly desire. Create, allow yourself to have an emotional and energetic response to that vision to actually feel and see and live that vision through the act of meditation, to really have that visceral experience and to have it over and over and over again, and to write down what, what, what you saw, what it is, so that you can get really clear on what it is, is, is your vision. Through that vision, you will identify purpose and see what is your purpose in the world and wear that vision like a costume, but wear it every day, wear it in your vision. And then see you raise the vibration of the world because you will then step into your vision. It will become an inevitability when you are seeing and, and crafting your life toward that vision, it will become that inevitability. And during this time of year in October, when the veil is lifted, when we have that communication between ourselves and the ancestors, I would add an additional question at this time of year, which is ancestors, guides, spirit, what are the greatest hopes and dreams that you have for me 
that I can birth into existence and get that information from your ancestors. What is, what are their hopes and dreams for you? How can you midwife their hopes and dreams into this time in, in your life, into the 21st century? What can we do to be, do better? What can we do to do better than what they were able to do? And, it, and maybe that's just asking, you know, a, a parent who's passed on or a grandparent who's passed on. But when we come into an acknowledgement that we are the children in a long line of powerful people who had vision and hopes and goals, whose joy may have either been exposed and lived or may have been clouded and constricted depending on their own situation and their circumstances. When we ask for their influence as to what needs to happen in this lifetime, what needs to happen in this moment in our history to be able to be the conduit through which we birth their hopes and dreams, that we are acknowledging uh, them and we are also open to their help, to help that shared with that shared vision, that shared wisdom, so that we don't have to step into dumb mistakes. We can step into greatness a lot more easily because all of that previous wisdom is already in us and we have access to it. And so during this time and, and future times, every October and October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd, every single time at this time of year, I invite you to step into ritual to ask the ancestors for that information and every time you go to meditation to ask your heart, what is it that it most deeply desires? What is your heart's greatest joy? And to step into that vision, to wear it like a costume, and to birth it into existence because we need you. The world needs you. Spirit needs you. Consciousness needs you. God needs you for the vision for right now to be manifest. We are made for these times, for our hopes, dreams, and endeavors, grit, resilience, and discipline, for all of those things to come into play, to do what is required right now in this time, in our lifetimes. So tap into your purpose through listening. Come to a comfortable lying down position for meditation. Feel free to pause this recording as you get ready. And begin to notice your breath entering through your nostrils and exiting through your nostrils. 
And just notice where your breath travels naturally. Does it hover at your chest? Does it go to your center belly and your ribs balloon out? Or does your breath go lower in your belly? And bring breath awareness now into your chest. Notice how your shoulders rise and fall. You inhale and exhale here. Now bring awareness into your torso. And as you inhale, notice the expansion of your ribs. And exhale, ribs stitch back together. Now bring your belly to the, your breath to the low belly. On your inhale, fill the belly with breath like a balloon. Press your pelvic floor down. As you exhale, pelvic floor releases and comes back to place. Do that again. Inhale, fill the, the belly like a balloon. Press your pelvic floor down. Exhale, the balloon deflates. Now give your breath a color. See your breath as awareness. And as you inhale, you notice that colored awareness coming in through your nostrils and traveling through your body. You exhale and the breath comes back out. And now bring breath awareness to the crown of your head and fill the breath behind your eyes and your throat. Fill and see breath swirling around in your head. Notice how the breath cools the back of your throat on your inhale. And as you exhale, breath escapes through the nostrils again. Now bring breath awareness to your belly button. And take a full breath into your navel center. Let your belly rise. As you exhale, send breath awareness toward your toes. Inhale, draw your breath to your belly. Exhale, send it to the crown of your head. Inhale to your belly. Exhale to the crown of your feet. Inhale to your belly. Exhale to the crown of your head. Inhale, belly. Exhale, feet.
Inhale, belly. Exhale, crown. This time, bring your inhale to your belly. And on your exhale, send it out to your feet and your head. Inhale, draw your inhale into your navel center. Exhale, send it out to your feet and the crown of your head. Inhale, draw your breath awareness all the way to your navel center. Now send it out to the edges of your body, all directions. Head, feet, arms, fingertips. Draw your breath all the way into your navel center. Draw it all together. And exhale, let your breath press out to the edges of your awareness. And see this tent-like cocoon of breath awareness all around you. A bubble of your awareness in the color that you have given your breath. See that. And know that inside of this bubble, everything is of your own creation. And everything is available to you here. Just sense the security of being in this bubble of your own making, of acknowledging your awareness, this protective layer. And now bring your attention to your heart. And perhaps feel your heart beating. Notice the speed of your heart. And ask your heart, what is my greatest joy? What is my deepest desire? And listen to your heart. Your heart may not speak in words, but in images. See those images and listen. Now state what it is that your heart most deeply desires as though it has already happened, beginning with I am or I have. Now bring your awareness to the space between your eyebrows, third eye center. And see your third eye. See an eye there between your brows. Notice your eye open. And your eye, like a projector, projects onto the ceiling. And see yourself projected. As you lie down here in meditation, see yourself in meditation. I 
And now begin to shift that vision to what it is that gives you the most joy, what it is that gives your heart the most pleasure. What is it that you most deeply desire? And see yourself joyous doing what it is that you most deeply desire. See yourself joy-filled. Notice the people who are there with you, supporting you, inspiring you. Notice the people who reflect your truth back to you when you can't see it for yourself. With gratitude, see those people around you. Notice what is your vocation? What is it that you do for work that fulfills this vision? See yourself joy-filled and purpose-filled at work. Now see where you live. Look around and notice what gives you joy. And enjoy now the sensation of you living the highest version of yourself the most true and enlightened version of yourself, filled with joy. And ask yourself, what is my purpose? And state your purpose to yourself. And now consider how your purpose will serve the world. See yourself living your vision, living your purpose in service to the world. Know that this version of yourself, this highest version of yourself, the self that you were created to be is so important to the universe, to God, to spirit. Consider that this is why you are here right now in this time, knowing the people who you know, 
being given, the information that you are being given, and the opportunities that you are being given. And any opportunities you're not currently being given are available to you to fulfill your purpose and vision. They're available for you to go out and create for yourself. They are waiting for you. See any doors in your vision opening, granting you access to all of the abundance that is there for you. The abundance of the universe is there to conspire with you to help bring the you that you were created to be into the world. Your service is so needed. This version of yourself is needed in the world. And feel that sense of purpose and joy. Fill it in your bones, in your heart. Acknowledge how it feels to be purpose-filled and joy-filled. Sense bliss all throughout your body. Now bring your awareness back to the screen and notice that you have projected this vision onto the screen. Bring this vision into your third eye. See it coming into you and becoming a part of you. And say now again, what was your heart's greatest desire? What is your purpose? And acknowledge all of the things that you have seen for yourself. Acknowledge yourself as observer and co-creator. Now bring your awareness back to your breath. And draw in your breath from your toes, your head, and the edges of your awareness. Draw them all back into you. Acknowledge the rise and fall of your chest. Begin to invite movement of your fingers, toes, neck, knees. When you're ready, take a full breath in. Exhale everything out. <sighs> know that whatever it is that you have vision for yourself, 
whatever it is that is meant for you, your purpose. The whole world is better off with you realizing that for yourself because that is the purpose for your existence and we need you, the world needs you. Your most purpose-filled version is necessary for the betterment of the world. You are that important. Living your heart's desire is that important. Any time that you experience fear around stepping into your purpose and manifesting the greatest desires of your heart, your heart, the truest part of you, remember that the entire universe is conspiring in your joy to help bring that purpose to life. For we are so much better with you in your highest, most realized version of yourself than not. Now you're ready, blink open your eyes. Acknowledge all that you have done and seen. And I invite you to write down any visions or experiences that you had while in meditation. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. This is Tamika with Asha Yoga. I'd love to hear your feedback and would love to hear any topics that you'd like for me to address. Feel free to email me at tamika at ashayoga.com. Also, you can go to that website to find out upcoming workshops, retreats, and events in your area.